I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey everybody, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and I'm back. Welcome to episode 44, in which we get a workout and check out some books. And I'm recording this on Tuesday, April 5th, which is, of course, way off schedule. Um, As I'd kind of hinted in Twitter and posting on my Facebook, uh, the Facebook page for this uh, podcast, I've had some computer issues again. This one was just a really bizarre series of events that I still don't entirely know what got it all started, but the um, the end result was that I ended up having to replace a headset and also replace uh, my external hard drive. And um, I had fortunately just finished backing up my external hard drive, so I, I didn't lose any data, but it, it was just a pain. I, I really, I didn't want to believe that I actually had to replace the external hard drive, but that's a whole other story that I don't really need to spend time on in a quilt-related podcast. Um, in any case, uh, I did know that, yes, I could have downloaded a file from um, Podbean, you know, one of my old podcast episodes, and just yank the uh, theme song music off of there, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but frankly, I was spending so much time putzing around with the stupid problem in the first place that when it came time to recording a podcast episode, I wanted to just get one out there. I didn't really have a lot of time to monkey around with um, making it pretty. And then when I did finally buy the new external hard drive and went through the process of, of restoring all the files to it, um, that's just a process that takes a long time. And you really don't want to be doing anything else on your computer while it's happening because you just make it take longer. Uh, I think I started the restore at Saturday afternoon sometime and it finally finished Monday morning. And that was, you know, I just never turned my computer off. It was running all night long the whole time. Now, the reason I have an external drive is not just backup because I do most of my backup is through an online service, uh, but that's where all my audio files, all my photo files, all my video files for uh, work and personal, everything lives on that external because it takes up so much freaking space. I don't want it on my laptop hard drive unless I need you know immediate access to it. So as soon as anything, um, as soon as I'm not going to be accessing anything on a regular basis, it get moves, gets moved to that external. So um, that's part of why that restore took so long, because they were honking big files. But again, anyway, this is a quilt podcast, not a computer one. Just wanted to explain kind of what I was waiting for. Um, on the other hand, you know, having a weekend with no no computer was not necessarily a bad thing. I would like to say that I got lots of sewing done, but I found last week... Um, Apparently, I just sort of needed to take a break. I did some kind of putzing around on little things. I got my sewing room kind of cleaned out and reorganized after I'd, you know, trashed it during my last project. Um, And I did uh, press the fabrics for my next project, but I really didn't get any further than that. Um, I just kind of needed a little downtime. Um, not that I wasn't doing quilty things. I just didn't want to be, you know, heavily engaged in a project, but I think now I'm kind of geared back up and I'm ready to get back going on something. So I don't really have much to, uh, report from a quilty update. Um, but being off of the computer, I did get some cleaning done, which is 
also something I probably don't spend quite as much time doing as I should. So that was good. Um, but mostly, actually, I am quite proud of myself at the moment. I have gotten back to the gym, which feels really, really good. Uh, last spring, I had been going great guns and um, going quite consistently and working out with a trainer and um, was losing weight, which is something else that needs to happen, you know. And uh, then summer hit and my schedule got completely whacked. And then, as you know, I've been traveling a lot and I just couldn't get myself back into the routine. And of course, once you get out of the routine, it's that much harder to get back into the routine. So um, I had pretty much just let it all go to pot. And uh, about two weeks ago, I guess, I started I started out slow, actually, with the Wii, <laughs> which and I wasn't doing like the, the, the Wii fitness kinds of things. I was playing games with my daughter, but at least I was not on the couch, which is, you know, an improvement. Um, and then last week I started going back to the gym. And this week I actually had a one on one session with a yoga trainer yesterday. That's going to be a one off. I'm only meeting with her once uh, because I wanted to kind of get a feel for what I was supposed to be doing before I started taking a class. And my daughter and I are going to start taking a yoga class together at the Y next week. And I'm really looking forward to that. And then today I finally was able to reconnect with my trainer that I'd been working with last year. And actually we decided we're going to meet again tomorrow. Normally we only meet once a week, but we're both gone next week. And since it's been so long, she wants to kind of get me, you know, back in the game, uh, in terms of getting me back on the weight training and stuff. I do cardio great on my own. It's the the weights I tend not to do so well on my own. So anyway, um, I was doing a lot of that. A little achy, but in a good way. And I also actually got to the library this week, which is something else I haven't done in a very long time. My daughter wanted to go, and so we went. And I've mentioned before that my little small town library has a fantastic quilting section because um, one of the uh, people that works at the library is in my quilt guild. And she listens to this podcast. Hi, Kate. Uh, and so I picked up some quilty books. So I decided this episode, actually, which I had planned on doing on Friday, if I had not had all the computer problems, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some quilters exercises. And I'm going to give you a review of the books that I got out of the library. Um, at the end of the episode, then we will do something with listener comments. And I've got some challenge reminders and very, very little bit of a Sandy update. So let's talk about quilters exercises. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, I've been talking about getting back to the gym and I really enjoy doing that. But you know, I was thinking there's actually a lot of exercises that each of us do in the process of um, maybe call it feeding our quilt monster that can actually help us get into shape. So I thought I'd spend a little time describing those exercises to you and maybe you can then also um, be getting into shape while you are in your sewing room. So exercise number one, I refer to as the design wall lunge. This is the move that you do, this design wall lunge, whenever your doofus golden retriever walks by your design wall wagging his big butt tail and knocking all your carefully organized blocks flying into the air. So you have to lunge forward to grab the block out of the air before it hits the dog hair ridden floor, replace it in hopefully the same place it was before on your design wall, and then lunge and grab for the next blocks. And you just keep repeating that move over and over over again. Lunge, grab, replace, repeat. Lunge, grab, replace, repeat. And that is a fantastic thigh workout. I know I personally, the owner of said doofus golden retriever, I have to do that one a lot. So I figured I would share it with you. Um, and maybe some of you also have to do that same move. 
Okay, the second exercise is the sewing machine army crawl. Now, you know, in military training, they have recruits drop to the ground and crawl through the mud with their elbows underneath those low-strung ropes. Well, I can tell you right now, they've got nothing on me when I'm in the process of changing my sewing cabinet leaves from their fully extended position for machine quilting to being folded neatly back together for regular piecing. I drop to my belly, I shimmy under the cabinet on my elbows, I reach for the drop leaf leg brace, I yank it forward, and then I have to drag my hand out of the way really fast before it gets slammed by the leaf plummeting downwards. Believe me, that's actually easier than trying to do it from the top. So that's the sewing machine army crawl, and I'm sure there are a few of you out there who are quite familiar with that move as well. The next exercise, oh, this is one we all do, I'm sure. Number three, the sewing machine leg lifts, toe taps, and inner thigh squeeze. This is a freebie. You get three and one on this one. First step, sew for 10 minutes. Then, stretch both legs out in front of you, tapping feet onto the floor to locate your errant foot pedal that has managed to skittle about a foot out of reach. When you find the foot pedal, you clasp it between the toes of both feet, squeezing your legs together using your inner thighs, and pull it back towards you. Additional leg lifts, toe taps, and inner thigh squeezes are required to move the foot pedal back into the completely right position. And you know, a 15 minutes later, you're doing the same move again. So this is another one where you're stretching, you're tapping, you're squeezing, you're moving. Repeat. Okay, the cutting table squats. This one's kind of similar to the design wall lunge, but it's a little bit of, of a different form. So it's actually getting, you know, your kind of your whole backside. So the cutting table squats occur when you repeatedly drop towards the floor to pick up the fallen rotary cutter, the fallen pin cushion, the fallen stack of fabric on the side of your cutting table that you accidentally knocked off when you were trying to move your cutting mat into a better position for that really odd-sized piece of fabric, and the falling rotary cutter for the second time, you get the picture. And finally, there's the ironing board hop, because we do have to get some cardio in there after all. The ironing board hop is the fevered dance that occurs after hitting your fingers for the third time in a row with the blazing hot steam you're using to try to ram the block back into square. This move includes jumping up and down, waving the scorched finger wildly in the air, meanwhile accompanying your aerobic dance moves with your own stream of verbal music that would probably get you slapped with a parental warning label. Now, I'm sure you all have your own quilters exercises, so leave me some comments on the show notes of this episode with your own descriptions of how you keep in shape in your sewing room. Okay, on to the more serious part of this episode. Um, I've got several book books to review and actually a magazine, although the magazine's going to be really, really brief. I just wanted to point out that I picked up um, Quilter's Home the newest issue of Quilter's Home magazine. This is the one with Ty Pennington on the front. Um, this magazine has always been a real mixed bag for me. I have never subscribed to it, but somehow I do always manage to buy it off the newsstand. And you know me, I subscribe to most of the magazines. So the main thing, I've, I've always struggled with this magazine because to begin with, to be honest, back when it first started and it was Mark Lipinski's baby, um, it wasn't Mark Lipinski and his uh, personality and his style that bothered me. That, that was fine. I had no problem with that. It was fun. Um, th the magazine was just really, really poorly proofed. And that just irked the heck out of me. Um, I've actually produced a magazine for work, so I know what goes into it, um, albeit at a smaller level, but still, I know what goes into it. 
And so when I would get magazine after magazine after magazine with typos, with paragraphs that were repeated, with things that were out of line, I mean, just you would be reading along the margin and all of a sudden half the column would move over. It would just drive me nuts. And I would wonder, you know, who's editing this stupid thing? I knew it wasn't Mark Lipinski. That wasn't his job, as best I know. That's the kind of thing you hire staff to do. Um, But somebody's got to oversee it. And apparently nobody was. (laughs) And that just really bugged the heck out of me. And I know that's a small thing that we're not supposed to let bother us. Um, But I just found it really unprofessional. And mind you, there's a big difference between being casual and being unprofessional. The magazine was trying to be casual. That's great. I'm, I'm all for that. But when you make that many mistakes and you just become unprofessional and it looks like you're just not trying, that's going to turn me off. So anyway, that's my soapbox. Um, and that's why I kept struggling with Quilter's Home. And then, of course, once Mark Lipinski left, we all know how Quilter's Home struggled because it kept trying to be him without him. (laughs) And that just comes across as very false. And so there were a lot of people that were complaining about that, that it just, it seemed to be trying to, uh, the word, the only word that comes to mind is it seemed to be trying to ape Mark Lipinski. That's not the greatest phrase, but, um, you know, and they didn't need to. Well, I am thrilled to say that this most recent issue, if this is any um, indication of where it's going to go in the future, I think I could actually subscribe to this now. Um, it just had a much more smooth and polished feel to it. It has a much more sophisticated layout and design than it used to. And I don't mean stuffy. I just mean it's very clean. Um, I, I just personally, it really spoke to me. I, I just really enjoyed kind of the visual look of the magazine. I enjoyed the way it was organized. Um, you know, the articles are still very similar to what they used to be, but the writing has definitely toned down. It no longer feels like it's trying to be Mark Lipinski. It's just still going for that kind of casual, more modern feel to it. And I just feel like it's sort of starting to come into its own a little bit. Um, so I did enjoy this issue much better. Uh, there were a couple of articles I particularly liked about it, um, but I, you know I'm not going to spend a lot of time because what I like you might not like. Who you know who really cares? I just did want to point out that after a couple of years now of really being kind of half-hearted about Quilter's Home through all that it's been in, I did much more enjoy this magazine. It's still not top on my list. You know if if I had to stop buying several quilt magazines you know this probably wouldn't be one that would survive but i do i like it a lot better now i I think it's heading in a good direction and i hope they continue to head that way okay on to book reviews i'm just going to check my time here quick i'm not doing too bad okay um i have a lot of books to review actually the first two i'm going to review are two i did actually purchase i'm not entirely sure why (laughs) i don't i don't know what it was that struck me about these two books that made me want to have them um but I did, and I'm glad I do. They're they're cute books. So the first one is called Happy Gloves, Charming Softy Friends Made from Colorful Gloves. And this one is by Miyako Kanamori, um, and it's published uh, by Penguin in 2007. So it's not the newest of books, but I hadn't seen it before. Uh, partly because I only buy quilt books, and this is more of a, it's a, you know, doll. They're, they're little softy, um, you know, beanie baby sized type things. Um, And that's not something I typically do, but these were just adorable and I had to have them. I think I saw this on a blog, I think is how I got introduced to this one. Um, 
And what this one is, is, you know, the kind of the one size fit all knit gloves. The premise of the book is that you always end up with a bunch of ones left <laughs> at the end of the winter. You know, it's like socks. Suddenly you get to the end of the winter and you've only got one glove left and you don't know where the other one went. So what do you do with those gloves? You turn them into these just absolutely adorable little critters. Um, the other thing I really liked about the book is that, and not the the animals, by the way, really cute. <laughs> They're just adorable designs. Um, and I love the way the book is done. It starts out, the first several pages, it starts out like a children's book. So um, the very first page says, I am a chipmunk who loves crafting. Right now, I'm crazy about making stuffed creations out of beautiful, colorful gloves. And it has a little crayon drawing cartoon style of a chipmunk with scissors and needle and thread and a bunch of gloves around him. And then the next page says, I am first. And it shows a picture of the actual stuffed softy chipmunk picture. And then it says a girl wearing boots is second. And it shows a picture of the girl. Um, and, you know, third comes a tiny frog who loves the rain. And it shows a picture of the frog in raindrops. You know, it's just absolutely adorable. It's it's whimsical, I guess. I That word gets way overused. But in this case, I would say it is. Um, and, so, and then, of course, it has the directions for making the uh, softies. And I have to say, I did not come at quilting out of a garment-making background. I've never made dolls. I've never made stuffed animals. Um, I struggle making a tote bag. You know, <laughs> anything that doesn't involve just straight seams and flat pieces of fabric, um, they're not in my repertoire. But this book, I sat and looked through it, and I thought, geez, I could do this. You know, the very simple, straightforward um directions, very simple, straightforward patterns. And again, did I say this word before? Absolutely adorable. They're <laughs> just really, really cute. So this is one I would say, um, not only if you're a mother or grandmother or father or grandfather of little kids, because most of these, um, some of them do have buttons, but you could easily substitute the buttons for embroidery or something. So they would be, you know, obviously child friendly. Um, but you know, middle school girls really get into that kind of stuff too. So really it's kind of all ages. And I would think even it looked to me, I have not made anything yet out of this book. So, you know, take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt in terms of how well it would work. But just reading through the directions, this looks to me like something a kid could do themselves. You know, maybe a 9, 10, 11-year-old kid easily could do themselves. Um, maybe even younger if you've been working with them for a while. So I, this is just, oh, it's the cutest dang book. So that one I'm glad I bought. Um, the second one I bought was called Make a Monster, 15 Easy-to-Make Fleecy Toys You'll Love to Sew. And this one is by Fiona Goebel, or Gobble. I'm assuming Goebel. It's only got one B. Um, and this was published in the UK, New Holland Publishers, in 2010. So this is a newer book. Um, and I, Come to think of it, one of these two books, the Happy Gloves or the Make a Monster, I saw on a blog, and I don't remember now which one, and it was through links in Amazon that I found the other one. So they were both kind of related in Amazon, so you'd be able to find them. And of course, I'll put links to all of these books um, in the show notes of this episode. This one, the Make a Monster book, um, they're very abstract monsters, you know, they're, and you can follow the patterns. Um what it would be very easy to do once you've made one or two using her actual patterns and descriptions, it would be really easy for you to then just go off from there and, and create your own monsters. Um, again, it, these are these are a little more complex than the softies made out of gloves. 
Um, but she does also do a good job. Like they're all labeled, you know, some sewing experience helpful. Um, I'm flipping through the book now. One says really easy. So it would help you kind of figure out which ones you could start with and so forth. And again, you know, fleece is a great thing to work with. Very forgiving. Um, it's stretchy, but it doesn't fray or anything. So it's, it's a really simple fabric to work with. Um, Many of these, again, involve buttons, but you wouldn't have to use buttons. You could do them with just appliquing more fleece on there or embroidery or whatever, so that they could be baby-friendly as well. Um, but again, this is something that not only for babies, but older kids, especially, again, middle school girls, they love this stuff, trust me. Uh, so that's another very, very cute book that if you just want a simple project, and again, you know, kids with any sewing experience whatsoever could probably make one and then figure out how to design their own from there. So that would be a great um, Aunt Lynn's summer camp <laughs> kind of project. So those are two books that I do actually own now. Um, and I'm looking forward to at some point, I don't know when it's not high on my priority list, but at some point I do actually want to make something out of those books because they're just adorable. Did I say that? Okay, on to the library books. Um, this is why I love having quilt books in my library. And if you, in your public library, if you don't have a great quilting section, start working the librarian, start talking to the acquisitions person. Um, see if you can't get them to start stocking some of these quilt books. Because um, for me, I don't actually get books out of the library to then use and, and make a pattern out of them. I actually get them um, more to review whether I want to own them. I'm uh, I'm a bookophile. <laughs> I tend to want to own my books. Um, not that I won't discount the fact that I would ever get a book out of the library and make a pattern out of it, but I just, I tend to, if I see a book that has several patterns I would want to make, I'll go out and buy the book. You know, so for me, it's a good way to kind of review books. Um, a lot of the books we have in our library are books I've seen online and I kind of want to check out, do I want them? And that's the case with one of the books that I'll be reviewing tonight. Um, other books I've never heard of, and after looking through them, I then go out and buy them. Um, but in this stack, I do have to say there's only one book out of the, how many do I have in front of me? One, two, three, four books here that I got out of the library. There's only one book I might actually buy, and I haven't decided that yet. So the first book I'm going to talk about is entitled One of a Kind Quilt Labels, Unique Ideas for a Special Finishing Touch, and I'm never going to pronounce her name right, by Thea Nerud. Um, N-E-R-U-D, and that was published by That Patrick Place in 2004. Um, <laughs> this book would be great if you wanted to spend a whole lot of time making your labels. Um, <laughs> I was flipping through it uh, one night while I was watching TV with my husband. I was obviously only half watching TV, and I was paying more attention to the book, and I started laughing at one point, and I said, I think she spends more time on her labels than I do on my quilts. I mean, these are pretty... Um, some of them, some of them are more simple, but some of these are really pretty elaborate labels. So if you really get off on making labels and you really want to get um, complex about it and very cute, I mean, I'm, I'm not knocking the patterns. I'm just saying this is not something I'm going to be doing anytime soon. She does spend some time. Well, first of all, she has a very nice page in the introduction about why label your quilts, which we know I've talked about before. Um, and she does have a list about what to include on a quilt label. 
the couple things I did find that I thought might be useful in this book for me and where I am at in my quilt making. Um, she does have a labeling comparison chart in the first couple of pages, and she actually goes through different methods of creating labels, what kind of materials each of those methods would need, um, then some pluses, she calls them, or or pros for doing each of those different, you know, what they, what positive they have to each offer. Um, and then other things to think about if you want to use that um, method, and then what care it needs. And that would be useful. Um, you know, for example, she says, okay, the type of label, if you do something using hand embroidery, okay, that's the method, hand embroidery. Special materials and equipment would be embroidery needle, embroidery floss. And then the pluses are it's durable, it's color fast, and it's safe for baby quilts. Other considerations are it's appropriate when a handcrafted look is desired. It requires a large labeling area. Depending on the thread color, it works either light or dark fabrics. And then the care is the care needs depend on type of the thread. If cotton threads are used, label will be washable and safe to iron. So she does that through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight different labeling methods. So if you're somebody who does a lot of different kinds of labels and likes to play with different techniques, this would be extremely useful. Um, the other thing I picked up on in this book, and this is only because I was asked, a listener asked a question, and I'm sorry, at this point, I don't remember which listener asked this, but back when I did the episode on the antique quilts that I have now inherited from my mother, um, somebody had asked the question about, is it okay to label somebody else's quilts, essentially? Is it okay to label an antique quilt or a family quilt if you're not the person who made it, if it's an you know older quilt, etc.? And she does actually have... Um, a page devoted to what she calls remedial labels for unsigned quilts. And she starts right out saying, it's never too late to label an unsigned or undocumented quilt or other handcrafted treasure. And then she goes through with some things you're going to want to think about when you do that. So that was useful. Um, and she talks about different kinds of lettering and using crayons and embroidering and um, cross-stitching. So again, there was a lot in here. Um, that's very useful. It's just in terms of, um, you know, what I liked best about this book was probably the first 25 pages, 26 pages. But then when she actually gets into the patterns um, that she presents, um, and again, she does a good job in terms of, it's not just here's a pattern, you have to do it exactly this way. She sort of explains, here's a pattern, but here's how you can do this yourself in other circumstances. So it's a t good teaching tool in that case. Um, but these labels are just so far beyond anything I would ever want to take the time to do, because generally speaking, when I'm done with a quilt, I am done with a quilt. <laughs> I just want to get a label on there and move on. Um, you know, she has, the, they're adorable. She has this great, um, for example, a kerchief card with a jeans pocket. So you create this little blue jeans pocket on the back of the thing, and then this little, um, the the label itself is a little handkerchief card that tucks inside that pocket and it's attached to a ribbon. Um, another one that's in the shape of a train coming out of a tunnel. You know, they're really, really cute. Um, it's just not something I would do. But if, if that's something you would enjoy doing, this would be a good book to get those ideas. And again, that's one of a kind quilt labels, unique ideas for a special finishing touch by Thea Nerud. And I will put a link to that on the show notes of this episode. Next book 
is uh, quilt block leftovers, clever uses for spare squares. You know, I, uh, generally speaking, I always try to find something good to say about anything because I appreciate all the work that people have put into putting these books together and the fact that, yeah, they've got ideas that I haven't come up with, you know. Um, this book I found really disappointing, <laughs> and I'm sorry to have to say that. Um, I think what I it wasn't what was in the book that I found disappointing. It what was not in the book. This one, most of it was mostly patterns that were kind of based on having certain kinds of blocks of certain kinds of sizes, and not a whole lot of hey, here's what you might want to do if you have a block this size. Here's some things to think about. It was just, here's a pattern. Um, it wasn't so much a teaching book as it was a pattern book. And I think that's what I was disappointed in. I was kind of hoping it might go through, you know, hey, if you've got X, if you've got a block of this size or, or when you have leftover blocks, here's some things to think about. You know, you might want to put borders on them and do these kinds of things or whatever. It was really just pattern after pattern after pattern. And many of the patterns were just things that kind of had the block slapped on it. So like you would have an apron with a block on the front of it or a tote bag with a block on the side of it. And yeah, okay, that's always a good way to use up leftover blocks, but I kind of felt like I could have gotten the picture for that in a, in a couple of pages and not an entire book. There was, I will say, um, there was one pattern in there that I could see myself doing that I, I did think was different and unique, and it's actually a magazine holder, you know, kind of like the file holders you put on your wall. It was a way to do a magazine holder. Um, now, maybe partly that's just because I am a magazine junkie, and I always have magazines around, and it's always nice to find new and creative ways to um, control them, <laughs> to manage them. Um, but other than that, you know, I... I was just disappointed. I wanted more uh, instructional material, I guess. Um, now, it did, that being said, it did have the um, cutting instructions and sewing instructions for the blocks themselves as well. So um, if you're somebody that maybe is just starting out quilting and you don't have a lot of, of orphan blocks, as they're called, leftover blocks, um, and you really liked the project and you wanted to make that project from scratch rather than using a leftover block, you could. You could pick this book up and easily do that. Um, and in fact, in some cases, that might be simpler to do it that way rather than trying to start with your own leftover blocks, which I can guarantee it are not going to be the same size as the blocks in the pattern. So you'd have to be doing some adjusting or trimming or whatever anyway. Um, and she again, she didn't spend a lot of time talking about that. So I think really there's nothing wrong with the book itself. It's a great book of patterns. It's got, you know, some cute ideas in there. Um, I was disappointed by how many were literally just make a pillowcase, applique the block to the front, make an apron, applique the block to the front. I didn't need that many ideas about how to applique a block to something. I wanted more ideas about how to really cleverly um, create something new out of these orphan blocks. I guess I was kind of thinking along the lines of Sharon Craig's setting books. Sharon Craig's setting books, I've talked about them before. They're great. Um, what she does is she, show t she shows techniques that can be used, you know, regardless of what you have to work with. It doesn't require certain kinds of sizes of things or certain types of things. It just says, hey, here's a way, something you might want to think about in setting. Here's something you might want to think about in sashing. You might want to work with coping strips or coping triangles, etc. Um, so her books are much more versatile in terms of how you can use them in a variety of circumstances. This book had some nice ideas, um, 
but I didn't feel like it was a book that I really would want to have on my shelf for future reference. And I think that's that's a downfall of a book. I think it needs to want to be around for a while. Um, you know, for me, once through enough was enough to give me the idea. And okay, I can now take the book back to the library and then I can do whatever I want on my own. So it had some usefulness in that. Um, and if you do have this in your library, uh, you know, I would suggest getting it. And I would also say, if you are a beginner quilter and haven't seen a lot of ways to use um, quilt block leftovers, you might certainly find this more uh, useful than what I did. Um, for me, I've been doing this for a while. I was seeing kind of, I hate to say it, a lot of the same old, same old. Um, so I, I hate dissing a book. I think there was a lot of good in this. It just wasn't something that I particularly needed. Um, in my stage of quilt making, and particularly for the orphan blocks I have, I was looking at all these thinking, no, probably not. No, that probably wouldn't work for that one either. You know, and, and I would have liked something more that would have said, you know, look at your block first and then think about what might work with it. So anyway, okay, that's the the one really negative review I'm going to give out of all of these. Um, the next book was something I was actually really excited to see in my library because I have seen it advertised in a lot of magazines recently and had seriously considered buying it. And it's called Pretty Little Mini Quilts. Um, and it actually doesn't have an author or even an editor's name on it. I had to go digging to find the editor's name. Um, and it's Ray Himachandra, <laughs> I guess, is the senior editor. Um but again, the outside of the book doesn't have any particular name because it's actually a compilation book of a lot of different designers. Um, a bunch of designers each submitted a, a design with a pattern to it to this book. Um, I will say, you know, the projects are really wonderful. I really enjoyed looking through it. Um, but again, they are all so very simple <laughs> that for the most part, I kind of came away thinking, all right, well, now I've seen them. Yeah, I can do that. And, and we'll take the book back to the library. Um, that may not have been so true several years ago. You know, I may not have felt so confident that I could just kind of figure out how to do those things myself. So again, um, one, if you're a newer quilter, or two, if you're a quilter that's only been doing traditional quilts and you really want to kind of get into doing some more um, modern contemporary type style quilts, um, even art quilts, although I, these to me... Well, I guess in my head, this is saying to me, I, I have a different opinion of what makes an art quilt versus what makes a contemporary wall hanging quilt. Um, these were, I don't think, maybe one or two of them had actual fabric um, manipulation. What's the word I'm looking for? You know, where they actually print the fabric or paint on the fabric um, or even a lot of embellishments. The kinds of techniques you tend to see more in art quilts. Um, these were pretty much just straight up fabric and embroidery. Uh, so very traditional quilt making methods just done in a non-traditional format. Um, and they were just wonderful designs. I really enjoyed looking through it. Um, I've looked through it three or four times. Um, and, you know, again, it has the patterns. It's got the information, you know, what you'll need, how to put it together. Um, all of that is is great in there. There wasn't, I didn't really come away from that with anything saying, I must own this book because I want to make these, you know, four patterns in there. Because again, I came away from thinking, oh, okay, I figured out how they do, can do that. You know, now I can just sketch my own design and kind of use similar techniques and come up with the same thing. Um, again, I really enjoyed the book. I'm not saying it wasn't well done. 
Uh, it just, it's not something I'm probably going to end up buying, especially because, you know, again, I know it's in my library, so <laughs> I can have access to it anytime I want, which is always nice. Um, I would say this, this would be a nice addition to anybody's library um, if you don't have immediate access to it in your public library. Uh, and it does have some really nice ideas. It's a good way to study um, techniques uh, or if you looked at all the images and really studied what it was saying in terms of design, you know, the use of positive and negative space and and um, spatial relationships and, you know, the use of line and curve and everything, there's a lot to be gotten out of it from that. So it's a, a really, it's a nice book. It's a cute book. It is an educational book, although it's not going to do the education for you. You kind of have to um, do it. It's very intuitive learning. Um, but for me, it's probably now not something I'm going to buy, but again, I know I can just drive five minutes and get my hands on it anytime I want to. Um, so I would say if, you know, if you're into this, go ahead and buy it. It's a nice book. It's a nice book. I did enjoy it. Now, the one book I will say, particularly if you're a newer quilter who really wants to start doing, or even if you've been quilting for a while, but you've only ever been quilting from other people's patterns, if you'd like to start doing some design yourself, here's a book you really probably should buy. Um, it's called, named, 15 Two-Block Quilts, Unlock the Secrets of Secondary Patterns, and it's by Claudia Olson. And um, I had to remind, or I was remembering as I was reading this, that again, months and months and months ago, a listener, and I'm sorry, I don't remember which one of you asked this, but did say, hey, I'm a new quilter. I've only been quilting for, at that point, had only been quilting for, I think, less than six months. And she asked, how do you know what blocks to put together? And this book answers that question. <laughs> you need to own this book if you're still wondering that, whoever you were. Um this is a book I could see myself buying. Although again, now I know my library has it, <laughs> so I might not, but I, this would be an excellent reference book. So I could see wanting to have this on my shelf. Um, this one, it does have patterns. Okay. It does have patterns in it, but it's not just a book of patterns. It actually starts out the first several pages of it are devoted to how to choose blocks that will work together, what to look for, what types of blocks tend to play nice in the sandbox together, um, looking at negative space, you know, the white space that's not the colors or the, you know, the background, whatever you're using as a background, the stuff that's not standing right out, um, learning to look at that as much as you're looking at the colors, using borders to complete a secondary sign. All of that was really, really good stuff, very solid stuff. And, you know, again, even for me, I've been doing this for a while. I've only done some designing myself, but it is, you know, I kind of have that same thing too. Well, how do I decide short of trial and error in EQ and just dumping a bunch of, you know, blocks together? How do you know, you know, kind of what do you look for when you're putting blocks together? And she really does kind of walk you through that process. So it's a fantastic, fantastic reference book. It's very instructional, educational. It's not just, hey, here's patterns of two blocks I've found that work well together. Now, again, she does have a lot of that. I didn't count how many patterns there were in the book, but there are a lot of patterns. They are not simple patterns. I would say these are going to be more, um, well, what do they call it? Confident beginner. <laughs> I see a lot of people or a lot of magazines and stuff say confident beginners can do this. Um, I would put these probably more at intermediate, not all of them, probably confident beginner to intermediate. I don't think there's any in here that would really be advanced. Um, so anyway, you know, this is not going to be a fast weekend quilt that you're putting together using these patterns, but they are 
quite doable. Um, what I want to do, this book actually made me really want to learn how to do more in EQ7 in terms of drafting blocks. Um, and so that I could take some of the blocks she has put together and just play with different colorations, because that's always what changes the secondary designs. You can have a whole quilt of the same two blocks, and you put the colors and values in different places. You can have completely different looks. You know, you make three quilts with the same two blocks and play around with color and value, and you'd never know they were the same two blocks in those quilts. It's it's really, that's one of the things about quilt making I absolutely love. It is so cool. It's like magic. Um, but anyway, in this book, she really does good, do a good job. And even in the um, patterns of the blocks, of the quilts that she creates, she still even gives little instructional tips in there about um, you know, fabric considerations, what you're going to want to think of in terms of value placement and color placement and that kind of thing, what kind of fabrics would work well for this, um, what differences you might see, that kind of thing. Not a lot, you know, it's still mostly the pattern when you get into the pattern sections, but it's still, it's still instructional. Um, so this is, I would say, a very valuable book uh, to have if you're really interested in learning how to do more on your own, um, rather than just, you know, being able to follow somebody else's pattern. And, and like I said, in, in my earlier review on the, on the um, book about using orphan blocks, this is more what I was kind of looking for out of that one, I think is, is not just patterns, but, you know, teach me how it's the, you know, you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day, but you teach him how to fish and you fed him for a light time. That's, that's more what I was looking for in that other one. I felt like I was given a fish and I really wanted to be taught how to fish. Um, so the, this 15 two block quilts unlock the secrets of secondary patterns. I would highly recommend it, and I could easily see myself go out and buy this one. Um, it's going to go on my wish list on Amazon. I'm not going to be buying it anytime soon because, you know, we're starting to already pay for my daughter's college, and she hasn't even started yet. Oh, my word, they start hitting you fast. Um, so anyway, those are my book reviews. So to recap, um, started out with the most recent issue of Culture Sew Magazine. But then the books that I reviewed were Happy Gloves, Charming Softy Friends Made from Colorful Gloves by Miyako Kanamori, um, published in 2007. Loved it. Make a Monster, 15 Easy-to-Make Fleecy Toys You'll Love to Sew by Fiona Goebel in UK, 2010. Loved it. One of a Kind Quilt Labels, Unique Ideas for a, spe for a Special Finishing Touch by Thea Nerud. Um, I personally wasn't jazzed by it, but could see where people who wanted to put a lot more time into their labels than I do would be. I mean, it had some really cute ideas and very unique ideas, certainly. Um, and some, some good reference materials in that one. So um, although I'm kind of a mixed bag on it, I think other people would probably really like it. Quilt Block Leftovers, Clever, Clever Uses for Spare Squares by Sarah Phillips in 2005. Um, personally, I found it disappointing. If you are a new quilter, there would probably be um, a lot of things in there you might enjoy seeing. Um, or if you do have it at your local library or could get it at your local library, or if a friend has it and you can borrow it, you could get some ideas from it. Uh, pretty Little Mini Quilts, edited by Ray... Hemachandra, although that won't matter because it doesn't appear anywhere other than on the frontispiece of the book. Um, that was a compilation book of many, many designers, and I did really like the book. Don't know if I'm going to actually buy it, but it was very cute. Um, some really neat projects in there um, and great inspiration. So, you know, thumbs up on that one. 
Uh, 15 two-block quilts unlock the secrets of secondary patterns by Claudia Olson, CNT Publishing, 2002. Two thumbs way, way up on that one. I think that was, of all the books um, that I reviewed tonight, that was definitely the one I would say, if you got to buy a book, buy that one. That was a good one. Okay. Listener comments. Um, I'm actually not going to talk back to you. (laughs) this week because I've gotten a slew of them. Yippee! That's so much fun. Woohoo for listener comments. Thank you so much. Um, and in fact, I was very pleased to see there were several new listeners represented in the listener comments, people who have just found the podcast. So I really appreciate that. Glad that I can celebrate my first birthday with you. Um, I have been having a great time reading what everybody's saying about what they've learned. And I will say some of y'all are getting pretty deep and profound. Um, So, guess what? I'm feeling another listener input episode coming on. I really, really enjoy it when you guys do my work for me. So, I'm just going to hold on to all those wonderful, wonderful comments, and I will come back to them when the drawing is over, um, because I do want to share them all with you all at once, because you guys are saying some great stuff. I'm really enjoying reading them. Um, I do also want to say that I very much appreciate everybody who posted or tweeted about how much you were missing my podcast. It is always nice to be missed, Um, but I am back now. And since I'm posting this late from last week, um, I'm actually probably going to push my next one off a little bit. Typically, I try to record on a Thursday night or a Friday so that I can post it right before the weekend. But um, actually, I'm going to be out of town on business Friday, getting back Friday night, probably exhausted. And then we've got a family wedding on Saturday. So I think I'm going to wait until either Sunday or Monday of next week to post again, which works actually well, because then I'm out of town the following Wednesday through Sunday. So that'll kind of time it better so that y'all don't have to miss me too much while I'm gone. Um couple of reminders. First of all, I have to give thanks to Jay for finally giving me a good word to use about my podcast birthday, um, as she dubbed it the podcast anniversary. Uh, thank you, Jay. Jay sent me a very nice card for my podcast anniversary, and I appreciated it. So my podcast anniversary giveaway. Uh, remember to leave a comment on the show notes to last week or this week's episode about one thing you've learned this year. And actually, next week's episode too. Uh, One thing you've learned this year related to quilt making, be it from my podcast or from anywhere else. And here's the present I'm giving y'all because when I first uh, announced this giveaway, I had said the deadline would be April 15th, but I realized I'm actually, I'm not going to be here on uh, April 15th. I'm actually going to be on vacation and much as I love y'all, I am not going to be checking my email <laughs> on vacation, maybe once in a while, but it's it's not going to be a, a big part of my time away. So I'm going to extend the deadline until April 18th, which is the following Monday. I will be back then and definitely back online. So uh, leave your comment on the show notes to last week or this week or next week about one thing you've learned this year related to quilt making, either from my podcast or anywhere else by April 13th, sorry, (laughs) April 18th. I'm really going to confuse the heck out of all you. And you will have your name entered in a drawing for some lovely fabric. And I think I actually have a pattern or two I might be throwing in there too. So it's going to be a nice giveaway. The other thing to remind you about is the second quarter stash mystery challenge. And remember, this one is to do something inspired by children's artwork and using at least three fabrics from your stash with the deadline of June 20th. And the details for all of that are on the show page um, at quiltingfortherestofus.com. Just click on the tab marked stash 
challenge. So remember, everybody, we have a Facebook page for Quilting for the Rest of Us. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Sandy Quilts. That's Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. Although, admittedly, I'm not as active on Twitter as I really should be, but I will try to get better. Um, you can also email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, and that's Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. I really want you all to join the Flickr group because I love seeing your pictures. Um, from of quilting and stuff and there's more of us joining and i'm seeing more pictures more frequently so that's a lot of fun you can join the big tent quilting for the rest of us group you have to join the big tent quiltcast super group first and then you can join um the quilting for the rest of us subgroup or any other subgroup of any other podcast you enjoy uh you can also read my quilting blog and you can join the kiva team and you can also subscribe to the newsletter and sorry i missed march for the same reason that i couldn't get a podcast out so i'm hoping to get one out in the next few days and you will find links to everything that I just talked about at, wait for it, www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. So I think that's it for this episode. And thank you for your patience. And I will post again next week. Don't quite know what about yet, but I will come up with a topic. And hopefully we'll get a newsletter out this week. And mostly, I really want to get back to sewing again. I think I've had enough of a break. So hopefully y'all will be doing some sewing too and will be sharing pictures and stories and all that good stuff with me. So until the next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. 